we see that record found in the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah, the governor of Israel at that particular time, had Ezra, the priest, stand on a, a, a high uh, stage like edifice that they had built and they had a pulpit there and uh, when he unscrolled the law then the people stood in honor of the reading of the word of God and that's kind of the principle that we have here and uh, a practice and and it's historical but uh, I value it and we value God's word don't we we're very very thankful for it and uh, you know I'm a pastor but also a preacher and a teacher and um, you know preaching is an, uh, an element that's a little bit lost in the culture today some unfortunately and, uh, but, you know, I, 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 still, I still like to reach deep down and find Leroy Brown hiding out in here somewhere at times. But also, at the same time, there's a part of me that, that understands the need to just teach the Word of God. Because my desire is to see the people of God receive sound instruction that produces life-changing principles in their lives. That's very, very important, and that's kind of the mode that I'm going to be in today. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word. Father, we love you. Now, thank you for the word of God today. And I ask the Lord in the name of Jesus that, God, that you would anoint us, each one of us, not just me as the communicator, but the people of God, to receive a word from God. Now, Father, I know that there are those among us that have been here previously but are here today for the first time in a long time, and I'm so grateful. They're not here by accident. You've led them to this house for this season today, for this for a new beginning, God, today in their heart and their life. Others, God, this is their familiar place. This is the place that they gather at. Their life would be uh, altered if they were not here today. And yet at the same time, the Word of God can be fresh and vibrant, God. Nothing has to be familiar to us. Nothing has to have the flavor or the fragrance of leftovers. Everything can have the sweet savor of something that's fresh, something that's new, something that's vibrant, God, for our lives. And I pray that over each one of us today. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. And you can be seated today. You know, I'm going into the new year. This is my third message of the new year, and in doing so, I transitioned away from the style of, me, of preaching that I was sharing in the context and the content of apologetics that I was in towards the end of last year. And I began the new year by preaching a message entitled, A New Year or a New Season. Some of you remember that message. The key point that was made in that message was this very quickly, is that you can uh, turn the calendar date over, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've moved into a new season in your life. Does anybody remember that message? And we can find ourselves. Now, sometimes God does new things synonymous with calendar events, but not always. It's our responsibility to grow in our walk with God to be able to discern what season of life we're in. Because if you practice one thing in a season that God's prepared something else, then your life's going to be uh, just as confused uh, as previously. You need to know where you are, what you are, what God's doing in your life. As a pastor, I, I need to know. I need to have my head pillowed on the chest of Jesus like John the Beloved in the upper room so that I can hear the heartbeat of God for our assembly. 
And last week I went ahead and I brought in the context of the message was about the tithe, going into the new year, just trying to reestablish a familiar principle, always recognizing that some of the familiarity of language that we use as pastors and those that have been in the church for a long time may be unfamiliar to new people, such as the tithe. We often say the tithe and the offering. It's very unfamiliar to you. If you're new to the church and you come and we put these silver offering containers out in front, people walk down with a smile. They've got this little envelope in. We're encouraging you to give your tithe, your offering, your missions offering. And you're just like, I, I don't really know. So do I have to pay to go there? You know, and so it's my, and so when you think about this, it is very important that pastors take the time periodically. I don't do it annually. Sometimes I do, but uh, this year I felt like it was uh, something necessary for me to do. And I concluded with Deuteronomy 26 by reminding you that the pattern of ancient Israel was the place, that the tithe and the offering belonged to a singular place. Deuteronomy 12, Moses said, you can't do what's right in your own eyes. We know that that's something that we could sound loud in America today, in the American church. In the American church, we just want to do what feels good for us, what's good for us. We take the Bible and we pick and choose doctrines. I'm just being honest with you. If we like it and, and it's kind of something that we feel like we can work with, then we keep it. And then if it's not, then we kind of just, we, you know, we move on past it. Well, that's not the way we're going to live life. We're going to trust in what God said. God knows a lot more than we do. And so uh, in the context of giving, we believe in giving related to the, the, the place. I believe with all of my heart, every born-again believer should be uniquely and directly connected to a local church family. And I believe that you should do everything in your power. And I know that sometimes seasons of life change and you can't come as often. But, but just because you don't come as often doesn't mean that you can't be connected. You have to search for ways to stay and remain connected and be that intercessor and be involved and be that encourager. And, and I want to encourage you today, if you are not found a church family, then you ought not look any farther because you found a church family. If you will just look around you, men and women. And let me tell you about the men and women that's sitting around you today. There's not a one of them perfect except for my wife. There's not any of us that's perfect. We all have issues we have some challenges. We all have a testimony. And we all have some things about our life that if you put it up on the screen right now, we would quickly uh, hasten out of here as fast as we could. We got all, all, everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a present. But what we're thankful for is a blood covenant that gives us a future. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so, but being a part of a, of a church family is a special thing. It's a powerful principle that we've seen in the Word of God. Giving and your money is a big issue. Your money is a big issue related to your relationship with God and your relationship to the people of God. Some people take offense anytime that pastors teach about this, teach about giving, tithes and offerings, and I'll allude to that more in just a moment. But you, you know what? The goal is not to offend anybody, but to instruct everybody. And that our instruction to be sound and to be right and to be accurate. That means a lot to me personally. I make sure that I'm not somebody that attempts to coerce or manipulate giving. That's never been my intention. But I would be amiss as a pastor if I didn't teach sound doctrine. Biblical doctrine. Because it does matter. 
Because the way you live life, the way that you're involved in the local church, if you are a family, if you have a family, if you have children at home, your, your children are going to pattern the example that they see in you. And I want you to so believe in what you do, who you are, and how you participate in the live stream of the local body that you're setting a precedence for your children and your children's children. I believe in that, don't you, church family? So I want to go into this just a little bit today into the context of New Testament giving. And what does the Scriptures teach? Let me just expound for just a moment before we turn to a couple of passages. The Apostle Paul is the point of reference for me as I look to the Word of God. And I'm a student of the New Testament epistles. I'm not a theologian in any capacity, and I'm not seminary trained. But when I was filled with the Holy Spirit at 17 years of age, I had an illumination in my heart and life to the revelation of the New Testament epistles, and I've had a passion about studying the writings of the Apostle Paul especially. And I've, I, I spend the majority of my study, even to this day, reading the New Testament epistles. The Apostle Paul gives us insight to what and how giving was viewed and participated in in the first century church. Now, here's what we do not have. And we'll talk about this in just a moment. We don't have exact instruction on how each church is expected to participate in giving. There's not exact instruction. Paul didn't write it out this way. Every church perpetually from the time of my writing shall follow these six sets or these six steps or procedures in the process of your giving. And so what that does for us, that forces us to then get into the Word of God, search out principles, and pray that in the mind of God and in our heart and mind that we are corresponding to the will and the purpose of God in relation to giving. And so Paul addressed very specifically giving for ministry support. I'll touch on that. I did so last week. He gave direct instruction concerning giving for his own personal ministry. He called it fruit. Paul said that fruit may abound to your account. And I made this statement last week, and I want to echo it again today. Let me tell you, if God has numbered the very days of your life, if God's numbered the very hairs of your head, if God knows the thought that comes into your mind before you even muse it, and if God knows the word, the next word that's going to flow off of your lips when you vacate this room here today, let me tell you, God knows the intent of your heart related to giving. And, and that should be something as a stimulus for us in our lives. Because, you know what, church family, we found this out many years ago. We don't own anything. We're but stewards of the assets and the resources that God's committed unto us. And it was quoted of Job just a moment ago, a man who had everything, lost it all, and saw God bring about a great blessing in his life. Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to go into eternity. And if you'll live life with resources, with open fingers, to allow God to flow resources through you into the right places, I'll tell you what, you'll live your life in a contented state. How many know contentment is a principle related to giving in the body of Christ? Not taught enough in our generation. We teach prosperity, but we don't teach contentment. Whether you are up or whether you are down, if you have recognized certain principles of life, principles of the Word of God, you'll find a place of contentment, a place of peace. 
Because seasons around you may change. But we sang it this morning, God is faithful. He does not change. He's your provider. How many of you know that today? He is Jehovah Jireh. The writer said he's the Lord who will provide. He's not changed. He'll still provide for his own. I quoted last week, it's found in Psalm 37. David said these words. He said, I was young, but now I'm old. Let me say that again. I don't really like to apply that to me, so I'll apply it to you. Because I'm still in the middle somewhere. But I was young, but I'm getting older. But he said this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. And so it was a principle of faith in the sweet psalmist of Israel that God would provide for his own. And you know who we are? We are his own. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the good things, the necessary things to those uh, that, that ask him and that are his children? And so, just a little farther, I'll deter if I'm not careful. Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16 was giving for the poor saints in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8, which is where we're going to be in a moment, is giving to help other churches. And Ephesians 4 is our individual giving to those that are in need that God may bring into our lives. We have to be very, very careful if you're not careful. Or excuse me, we have to be very, very careful or it will happen if you're not just so uh, aware of it that you'll retain all of your giving to the local church and you'll fail to be used at a catalyst to give to somebody that God brings into your life. I'm going to be honest with you today. That's something I want to pray about in my life because I'm so church-oriented. So I'm so conscious of the need of the local church that Sherry and I and the overwhelming majority of our giving flows into the body of Christ, flows into the church. And I oftentimes need to challenge myself to be more aware of individual need that may not be in the four walls of this building. Does that make sense today? Paul addressed that, Ephesians 4. He said, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor that he may have to give to him that's in need. So we see that Paul addressed giving for ministry support, giving for his own personal ministry, giving for the poor saints in Jerusalem, giving to help other churches, and giving individually to those that are in need. Last week I drew your attention to 1 Corinthians 9 just briefly. And I only want to allude to it just very quickly today. And that was Paul was affirming the right of pastors to receive their livelihood from ministry support. Now this is a great a challenge to us if we're just being honest because Paul exhorts us that he himself had the had the right to forbear working that's what he said as the other apostles did and what did he mean by that we know that Paul was bivocational Paul was a tent maker that was his craft and so Paul was a foundational apostle, a missionary apostle. He would go into countries and into to cities many times where there was not even a witness of the Jewish community or of the Christian community. And thus Paul would labor to provide for his own needs while he was establishing a church. But Paul understood that that wasn't the design for all of God's ministers. That God designed a system that the people that led the church, that were the preachers and the teachers, those that were anointed of God to be the pastors. The scripture says God has ordained it. 1 Corinthians 9, 
It's a principle. Every one of us that ever were called into the fivefold ministry, we had to go through a process of learning. I can still remember the very first time that I received my payroll from my pastorate in Shirley and the awkwardness that I felt because that was something totally new and foreign to me. And I had to go through a process of understanding and accepting it and realizing that that was the will of God for my life. And not only was it the will of God for my life, but it was the will of God for my church family. Because the Bible plainly says, alluding to the law, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, you'll not muzzle the mouth of the ox that's treading out the grain. So Paul's teaching a principle that the workman is worthy of his hire. But you still have to acclimate to it pastorally. But there's something related to this that I wanted to mention, and I briefly mentioned it last week, and leading into today's message, it's really important for, I, for me to go back and touch base on it. Paul said this, and I want to echo this today. Paul said that he, in 1 Corinthians 9, let me see what verse it is if I, if I wrote it down. I did not write down which particular verse it is. He said this. This is his desire. He said that I abuse not my power in the gospel. And you don't mean to tell you, church family, that means so much to me personally. To not abuse my power as a pastor to teach the principle until it becomes coercion. Or until it becomes manipulation. Because if every one of us are honest in this building today, we have seen manipulative tactics take place in the body of Christ. We've seen exhortation become extortion. Well, I'm going to preach it anyhow. I'm going to say it again. We've seen exhortation from the pulpit via not only local churches, but also we have seen it through televangelists. I said I wasn't going to, but I did. I watched ABC 2020's um, program this Friday night as it recounted the story of Jim and Tammy Baker. Now, Jim and Tammy were Assembly of God pastors. Did y'all know that? A lot of people are unaware of this. And we lived right there in that time frame. That was, I was a young man just going into the ministry, just integrating into uh, Pentecostalism, just integrating into uh, the Assemblies of God. And between 1986 and 1988, there was a very controversial, a lot of things happened. You had, you had Heritage USA, you had PTL, you had Jim and, and Tammy, and then you also had the Jimmy Swaggart scenario that began to play out. And there was a lot of backbiting, and there was a lot of bitterness, and there was a lot of poor negativity. Uh, there was a poor image of the local body that was created as a result of those situations. And here's the reality. Oftentimes, people begin with the pure motive, but they get pulled into a trap. Paul warned young Timothy. Paul warned Timothy by saying this, the love of money is the root of all evil. you got to guard your heart from it. you got to guard your heart from becoming covetous. But that principle doesn't just belong to us preachers. That principle belongs to all of us. Because we all desire to be prosperous. There's not, if I was to raise, ask you to raise your hand up here and say, who here desires to be poor the rest of your life? Or who would desire for the prosperity or the blessing of God to be upon you and your household? I would say everybody would raise their hand because the Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. And yet at the same time, 
that we value the fact that when I say this, let me say it uh, uh, properly, there's no shame in being poor. Right? Matter of fact, the Bible speaks to those that are not just poor in spirit, but poor in pocket. The Bible says God's called many of the poor, and sometimes he's not able to reach the rich because they're in love with their possessions. Right? So there's no shame in being poor, but we don't have to glorify being poor either. And there's no shame also in saying, God, let your blessing come upon me. I'm trusting for your blessing. Is that right? But Paul said it this way. He said, I don't want to abuse my power. And that means a lot to me personally because I want to teach you principles that I believe produce the fruit of what God desires to do in the local body and in your body, in your family, your home, and everything that you're a part of. But I don't want to do it with manipulative tactics. I don't want to try to strong arm or coerce you or to bring you to a place of shame or bring you to a place where you feel belittled, where you are, you are in essence provoked to give in a negative sense. I want to teach you principles that so create inside you a value system that giving flows out of your life just like this right here. When I say that I believe that giving in the body of Christ is worship, when you become a worshiper in the house of God, I'm telling you, every church, they can bring you into a Presbyterian church where they've got nothing but a pop organ. But the moment they get started, there's something inside you, you're going to want to raise your hand up because you're a worshiper. And you're going to want to get happy and celebrate in the presence of God because that's just who you are. But when you begin to learn the power and the principles of giving and that gets down inside of you, then you're going to extend this hand just as easily as you extend that hand upward. And you'll do so with the same integrity and the desire in your heart to honor God and to worship. Man, that's good right there. And so let's go into 1 Corinthians 9 for just a moment. Or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16, just very, very quickly. Four verses. I wanted to just show you real quickly. Paul's informative teaching on giving begins, so this is where Paul, now I'm gonna, I want to only use this as an example. I'm going to show you. 1 Corinthians 16 and 4, look what he said. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. So I said last week as well, I am a prosperity gospel preacher to a degree. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher in relation to the prosperity gospel message that you hear on our Christian airways. But I am a prosperity gospel preacher in the sense that I do believe that God does prosper his children as you are faithful to him. And you know what? Just giving tithes and offerings does not mean that you're going to walk in the prosperity of God. There's a lot of people that give in, pro in their tithes and offerings, and they still don't handle their money right. They're, they're spending more, and they're going into debt, and they're on credit cards, and they're in the bondage and the trap, and they don't know how to manage, and they don't have a budget. Sherry and I have a budget. I manage a budget. I've got a book. I've got the total money makeover that, that, uh, for me and Sherry. And I manage it, and about every quarter or so, I'm pulling that thing out, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing where we're at and, and, and doing this. And, and as a pastor, I'm doing the same thing for this local body. Because if, if order for God to bless me, and I've got to be faithful in a few things. Right? Or I'll never be able to handle many things, right? And that's the same principle for you as well. Get it right where you're at. 
I could detour with that, but I better not. But I wanted you to see, look at this. Paul is writing in relation to giving. And when we read in just a moment, he's addressing this very same path, this same uh, offering. And he also mentioned it in Romans 15. And what it is, it's a special offering. This is what we would call it today. A special offering for the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. The poor saints. Romans 15, Paul said, if you Gentile believers have reaped from their spiritual principles, he said it's not wrong for you to sow carnal things into them. He actually said it's right that we would do so. And so Paul is using, so in 2 Corinthians 8, that's where I want you to go with me today. I'll glean through this very quickly. They'll have to follow along. I want this to be a part of who you are. I want you to see this. And I'm going to be honest with you if I can. I'm not, again, a theologian today, but I want you to understand these things. Does that make sense? That's the entirety of the second chapter. And then there's 15 verses in the, in the, or not the second chapter, in the eighth chapter. And there's 15 verses in the ninth chapter. And you, I know you're going, is he going to read them all? I know that. I felt that. I, can feel, I, don't, I don't see those things, but I just I know I can feel it. You know what? Yes, I am. Yeah, twice if necessary. I want you to know these things. Why do I want you to know? Am I trying to? No, I want you to understand some things in a way that it alleviates how you feel if you feel negatively to what we do and how we practice church around here. I want you to be comfortable with it. I want you to trust in systems that are in place. I want you to consider something real quickly. Paul's most informative teaching on giving involved giving for the support of the poor saints in Jerusalem. Our situation differs slightly. Not that we don't give towards the poor saints. Did you know in our missions offering, we give monthly to an Assembly of God missions outreach called Jacob's Hope? Jacob's Hope is the arm of the Assemblies of God ministering in Jerusalem and in surrounding communities there in Israel, helping the poor saints in Israel. The very same thing that Paul was doing 2,000 years ago when you fill one of these cards out. Did y'all know that? Now you do. How many of you know that makes you feel spiritual today? Right? Makes me excited. Right? But I get just as excited knowing we're helping the guys at the other side. Let's go a little bit farther. Our situation, what does our tithes and offerings go to? Just real quickly. Our tithes and offerings go, very quickly, number one, to ministry support. I did a lot of study on this across the... uh, over the latter few weeks, and it typically takes up to 40 to 50% of a local church's giving, a small to mid-sized church. Probably it would be altered in large churches, but when you're small, mid-sized churches, just to have a pastor or pastoral staff, up to 50%, many times, uh, sometimes in very, very small churches, it can be 60%. Uh, when I got to Shirley, listen, when I was the pastor of Shirley Assembly, uh, Maranatha Assembly, where uh, where. Shane's sister is the pastor at today, and uh, the, the monthly income was $2,000 a month. And I showed up with a wife and five children. They, 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 they had to stretch out to just get us, uh, you know, uh, barely fed. Come on, somebody. But it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith. Our monthly income when we got there was $2,000 a month, and it was twelve dollars to $14,000 when we left. The Lord had blessed and prospered our church family. That was the income of the church. And so, so I've studied that out just a little bit because, you know, we have ministry support. But I don't, Paul didn't address buildings, but the Old Testament law did but to, in the, in the, to Israel. But, you know, we got to have a building. 
Some of you are going to come to my house for a life group. But all of you aren't coming. All of you can't come. And we can't all go to your house either. So we have to use resources to give us a facility. We have to use resources to turn these lights on. I don't know about you. I'm glad we got heat on up in here today. Somebody's got to pay for it. Right? So, so, that, so, so the building and facilities cost quite a bit. Insurance costs quite a bit. We have benevolence ministries. We have uh, opportunity where we do our very best through our food bank and also to help people uh, in very desperate seasons in their life. If they're in need, we do our very best to help. We also give to missions. Thank God for we want to be a church that we want to give a minimum of a tithe every year into missions. Does that make sense? We encourage the tithe in your life, then we want to practice the tithe in what we do. And we attempt to tithe into the missions of the Assemblies of God and other ministries. And then we also fund all ministries such as Royal Rangers and Missionettes. Those are the things that when you give it and you put it in that nice silver hubcap and it's gone back in its process. It goes to ministry support. It goes to buildings, benevolence ministries, missions, and the funding of all ministries. But here's the key. If everybody participated... All ministries would be funded adequately and beyond. That's powerful. The other, if everybody just participated in giving tithes and then an occasional offering, everything would be funded adequately. So my job is to encourage you, learn to give. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8 for just a minute. Let's just look at it real quick. Are y'all with me out there in Radio Land? I know you're not shouting me down, but y'all weren't shouting Shane down when he was worshiping. Right? But I hope you're in a learning mode. And I hope you're receiving this in a heart of love because it's being sown from a heart of love. It's being sown to teach you principles that I determined in my life as I studied the Word of God over these many years of being in ministry that these are things that I believe in enough to take the pulpit and share with you, but also that I hope my children and my children's children adhere to these principles because I believe them by the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul starts to set. 2 Corinthians 8 is his prep for 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 8 is the external, while 2 Corinthians 9 is the internal. 2 Corinthians 8 is kind of saying, let's look at this kind of on the outside. 2 Corinthians 9, it's very, very specific. We'll go over it very quickly. We won't look at it in great depth, but we're going to look at it, and we're going to see if God can write some of these things in our heart. Are you all hearing me? Verses 1 through 4, without reading all of that in its entirety, just very quickly, the Apostle Paul is alluding to the churches of Macedonia. And he's giving a contrast of a comparison. And he's saying, you of Corinth, let me remind you what the church at Macedonia, the church of, the Mas- uh, of, the, of that region of Macedonia, what they did. Here's what he said, just real quickly. He said, in their poverty, they still gave. Last week I made a statement, and I'm going to say it again today. You're never too poor to give. When your heart is right, if your heart is seeking God, and when you know that Paul said in Acts 20, quoting Jesus, that's not, did you know that there's a passage in the book of Acts where Paul quotes Jesus that's not recorded in the Gospels? You know what that one statement is? In Acts 20, Paul said, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
And so I don't care who you are, where you are, if you set your heart before God, you will eventually find seed to sow. You're never too poor to give. Let's go down a little bit farther. Verse number 7, he said, Therefore, as you abound in everything, now look at this, in faith, utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Let me go ahead and address that just real quickly. What's Paul saying? The Corinthian church was a Pentecostal charismatic fellowship. They were zealous of spiritual gifts. They shatakaya mosia. They let the, 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 flyer, the fire fall and the river run. They let it get wild. And, and Paul had to give them parameters. But he commended them for their passion for the Spirit of God. And in this verse, though, Paul is saying, in all these other areas, you are excelling. You need to excel in giving as well. And I've been in the church for a long time, and I see a lot of people try to make excuse for their willingness or their unwillingness to give. They'll say things like, well, I tithe my time. Well, yeah, so do we all. Right? Let's go a little bit farther. They'll say things like this, well, I, I choose to do it other ways. What that means is you have never accepted fully that it's your responsibility to give. That it's God's call upon your life. And Paul said, yeah, you're doing all these other things. Great. Keep it up. Don't stop. But he said, make sure that you excel in this grace also. That's what Paul said. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse number 8, what does giving do? It proves the sincerity of your love. Hmm. The old adage is, put your money where you... But what does it prove? You say, well, pastor, I love God. I love God, and how does my giving to the church validate my, my love for God? Well, it can, and it will, but it also shows not just for your love for God, but your love for the people of God, and your love for the church of God. And when you love God, you love the people of God, and you love the purpose of the church. And when you begin to give in tithes and offerings, you're creating, you're helping establish this place. This place would not be in existence if it were not for somebody who loved God and loved the people of God and wanted to create a structure where God's people could worship God in a Pentecostal environment. Let's go to the 11th and the 12th verse very quickly. Look what he said real quickly. I'm just gleaning down. He said, it starts with a ready mind. How many know you got to start making up your mind? If you've never been a giver, you've never moved into the, an area of your life where you said, God, I want to honor you in the giving of both tithes and offerings, then you've got to start somewhere, and it starts in your mind. Now, in a moment, in the, in the ninth chapter, he's going to address it purposing in your heart. But what I've observed, and this is, what, this is written here, this verses 11 and 12, is that not only do you, does it begin with a ready mind, but in the 12th verse, he said, there's got to also be a performance. Look at the 12th verse. He said, first, there's a willing mind. And he said, it's not accepted to what you don't have, but it's accepted, to what, uh, that it, it's accepted according to what a man has and not according to what he does not have. Let's just see if we can tie that together. Paul said, let it start in your mind. So it's one thing to start the new year with a resolution. It's another thing to resolutely determine you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And so... How many of you have ever had a resolution that you failed to do? Let's be honest. Every one of us, correct, have said, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to a new year, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Paul, has, Paul is addressing this. You know why he's addressing it? Because Christians are notorious for it. Christians are notorious for saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. And Paul said, I know you say your intention. The, Paul is saying your intent is pure. 
but you need to follow through. Right? You need to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I love this 12th verse. In that 12th verse there, he said, start with where you're at. Some people are like this right here. God, I'm going to start 2019 as a giver. So, God, I'm going to take this last few dollars, and I'm going to buy a scratch-off ticket here at Hell's Exxon. And I'm going to hope that that thing works out for me and that I'm going to, you know, uh, get these th numbers all lined up. And I'm going to have uh, this, this type of uh, lottery or something like that. And when I, that happens to me, I'm going to start giving. No, you know what God wants you to do? God would want you to take that $5, come down to First Assembly of God, and don't spend it there at the gas station. He wants you to take it right here and put it in an envelope. And say, God, I don't have anything else, but this is what I got. And God, you see the intent of my heart. And you said, don't wait till I get more, just start where I'm at. And God, you said in your word, I'll get to preaching if I'm not careful. But God, look upon my heart. Let me start somewhere. Start with what you've got. And then believe God for more. Man, that's a good word right there. That's not me making this up. I'm not trying to manufacture this. I'm trying to show you a principle in the Word of God. That way it clears your conscience because you may have set a goal to be up here in your giving and you're down here in your giving. That's okay. Start with where you're at. Right? you got to have a beginning and a progression can take place. But if you don't ever start, you'll never have a progression and then begin to move into that giving. So this is somebody's offering down here that got missed. We've got to work on the ushers there. That's, there's some things to miss. This is not something to miss. Come on, somebody. God's design. Look at this. Verses 13. Are y'all out there? I know you're learning. Are y'all learning? I'm going I'm to move on. I'll move through the ninth chapter very quickly, and I'll wrap this thing up. But let's look real quickly. I love verses 13 through 15 because you hear a lot about this in America today. Equality. Equal. Most people don't want equal rights. They want special rights. But I don't, that'll get me political, and I won't do that today. But look at verses 13 through 15. Paul said this. He said, I'm looking for an equality. I'm looking for that everybody participates. Did y'all hear that out there today? That everybody. That's what Paul's goal was. Now listen, everybody does, uh, uh, an equality does not mean an amount. It means an intent. And then perhaps it means a tenth. Perhaps if you become a tither, then your tithe might be a minimum in amount compared to somebody who's got more, but in the eyes of God, it's all the same. That's what creates the equality. Did you hear me? I want to say that one more time. Let's say that you make $20,000 a year. Somebody else in the church makes $200,000 a year. You determine, you determine as a $20,000 person that you're going to tithe $2,000 in the course of a year. And each week, you faithfully sow your tithe before God. Well, the other person that makes $200,000 a year, he does the very same thing. And at the end of the day, God doesn't slap this one that gave uh, of his tithe, which was $20,000, which was your income. God doesn't put him up on a pedestal while he belittles your giving. But it creates an equality. Man, that's good right there. And then the favor and the blessing of God is equally dispersed in your life because you're just as obedient as the person who's got more. But you got to start somewhere. 
and all of us need to start somewhere. Verses 16 through 24, we won't read that, but what that passage is about making sure. Paul is giving sound instruction that they are making sure that the offering is handled properly. And that's something that means a lot to our, our church family. And you as a church need to know that the resources aren't abused and that we use the money for the purposes solicited for. If you take an envelope and you mark it right here to the Pastor Appreciation Fund, I can guarantee you. Now, somebody don't misinterpret that. I'm just teasing but I'm just making it, if somebody marks something on this envelope, we do everything in our power. As far as I know, we have never diverted an offering from its intention of the individual who gave it. Does that make sense? We try to handle the resources with a pure heart. Paul gives sound instruction. And then let's go into the ninth chapter to close with this today. Are y'all with me today? Because I'll go out in a flurry right here. A flurry. That sounds like something you get at Sonic. A flurry. We'll pull up there today and say, I want to splurry. And they'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's go a little bit farther. Paul begins to address it. I want to go down here in closing today. Verses 1 through 4, Paul's touching the ministry. He said, I don't need to say it again. I've already talked to you about it. He said, your heart's hopefully right in this. I'm ready to go. I hope you're ready to go. He's still addressing the special offering of giving to the saints that were in need in Jerusalem. Paul's desire in the fifth verse is a pure motive, a pure motive on the people that are going to give, a pure motive on the people who are going to be there to receive. The sixth verse is a verse that many of us are familiar with. I want you to look at it with me today. It says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Verses 6 through 15, a transition begins to take place from the Apostle Paul, where he's taken it in more of an external sense, encouraging the church family to begin to give, determining in their hearts. But now Paul begins as apostolic father, father to begin to write very specifically to the end result of your giving. And he said this, as an apostolic father, if you sow sparingly, that you will also reap sparingly. And what that means is you say it's not your amount that you give, it's where you're at when you give. It's the intent of your heart. See, if all you've got is 10 and you give one or whatever in that sense, then that's a tithe that that's equal to that guy that's got 100 and he gave 10. You started somewhere. The apostle Paul said if you sow sparingly, then you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, then you're going to also reap bountifully. Let me tell you, there is a law of sowing and reaping that's in the earth. And it's going to be here until Jesus Christ returns. And if you and I can learn to work with it instead of working against it, then the blessing of God can run you down. I believe that with all of my heart. Because if you sow bountifully, what's the promise that's going to come on to you? What's the promise? Say it with me. You're going to reap bountifully. Now that doesn't mean that all you're reaping is with money. Right? It's with your life and your lifestyle that the grace and the favor of God. Let's go farther. Every man, where does it begin? As he purposes in his heart. Do you remember what I preached last week? The title of the message was every person's got to be fully persuaded in his own mind. I can't determine in your heart what you should do. I can only encourage you in biblical principles, but I got to challenge you with this. Purpose in your heart and then give, but don't give like this. Be sour, be angry, be frustrated, be in unbelief. Don't do it. Don't come down here with an empty envelope to put it in here because you don't want somebody else to see that you're not giving. 
and you're only doing it to be seen of men. He said, don't do this grudgingly. If you can't do it with a pure heart and a pure motive, still do it, but you just won't be blessed. <laughs> All right, excerpt that. Cut that out, Jojo, if you would kind of stay on that right there. No, listen, the apostle Paul is writing this in this passage real quickly. And you know this. I've preached it. It's been preached. It says God loves a what? What kind of is that? You know this. I've told it before. Let me say it again. In the Greek, it's the hilaros. You know what it means? Hilarious. Be a hilarious girl. It's funny. Come on. It's, it's a joy. When this gets down in your heart, you're not giving out of a begrudging obligation. You're giving because God gave everything on a cross called Calvary. God took you out of darkness and he brought you into a marvelous light. You were an adulterer, a fornicator, you were a drunkard, and you were bound by the addiction of gambling. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has transformed your life and your change to the glory of God. And you want to honor God in all that you do. And you live life with a smile on your face. And when giving comes, it's just like your worship. You got to dance, you got a celebration, and you come down to the front and you put your offering in with a smile on your face because you're just grateful to be here glory to God that's what a cheerful giver is somebody that just says God I just thank you for all your kindness but what's exciting about this passage is it begins to unlock principles and I'm closing with this and God is able to make all grace abound toward you Man, I prayed that in my life, and I want you to know today, I want to say that again, and I'll probably address it next week in closing this three-part message out. All grace is not always reciprocated to you financially. It's the kindness of God. It's the favor of God. It's the love of God. It's a sweet night's sleep. Come on, somebody. It's just joy. It's just little moments that you stop and pause and you feel the presence of God. And you say, God's making all grace abound. It's a peace that other people don't have because of climatic things that they're going through and they're distraught. But you're like Jesus. You're just pillowed back there in the middle of the storm because of the grace of God that's working on your life. God said he'll make all grace abound towards you. He said he'll make you sufficient in all things. Sufficient in all things is when you don't have the answer, you know God does. Sufficiency in all things may mean that there are times when you look at it on paper and you say, I don't know how this is going to work out. My Dave Ramsey class didn't have this chapter in the book. But what it does in the Word of God says is I'm going to trust that God's going to make it all right. We sang a song a while ago that said he's a way maker. And when you know by giving that God's unlocked all grace towards you, you can sing that song with a smile on your face and say, God, you're my way maker. I don't know where the answer's coming, but I know you're going to bring it into my life because you're that kind of God. Let's go a little bit farther. If I'm not careful, my preacher's going to come out of me this morning. Go a little bit farther. He said, now this is in the 10th verse. I say this almost every week. God said, I'll give you seed to sow, and I'll give you bread to eat, and I'll multiply your seed sown. Let's look at that real quickly. You can't eat your seed and then get bread. you got to sow your seed and then expect God to bring bread into your life. And from that bread... You make sure that you sever seed for the next time that you're going to give in the offering that God's provided for you. 
and the opportunity that's created. And then Paul gives us a little glimpse in what happens when you sow. I keep looking over here expecting that silver hubcap to be there, and it's not there. But in the theater of my mind, it's right here, right now. And every time you do so, every time you do so, Paul said, let me close and Aaron, join me on the platform. Let me tell you what happens when you become a faithful giver on the other side. On the other side of your giving. On the other side. See, many times we just give and we're caught in the context of how the reciprocation is going to work in our lives. And that's okay because there's a part of us that, you know, we have to have our own personal needs met, right? Is that true today? I mean, uh, God doesn't expect you to be famished. God expects to meet your needs. There's nothing wrong with it in petitioning God to meet your needs. Give me this day my daily bread, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul, in closing this message and in this text, said, but let me show you what happens when you give through the church on the other side of the church. First of all, look at this. He said, when, when this enrichment is taking place in your life, he said, it causes through us thanksgiving to God. What that means is there's a bald-headed pastor, a bearded psalmist, a ruggedly handsome senior pastor <laughs> that gets alone with God, and we thank God for your faithfulness in giving. Let me tell you, that's what happens. In our private devotions, I can guarantee you, in our private devotions, we say, God, thank you for the faithfulness of First Assembly. Thank you, God, that our family's needs have been met through the kindness and the compassion of our church family and their willingness to give. And we pray and we intercede for you and your family with as much zeal as you pray for us. Did y'all know that? That's what Paul said. It calls us through us, thanksgiving to God. We thank God for it. Let's go a little bit farther. And then he said, the administration of this service, he said, it's going to supply the want of the saints, the lack of the saints. Remember, this was an offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. He said, and as a result, it's going to cause that group of people to give God thanks. Did you know that you give to help provide a food pantry that wonderful people work at each week and they pass out food? That food that the resources comes from your resources. So a little lady that might be on, um, you know, Social Security but found out her check, well, she just didn't have enough that month, and she comes in, and she's got a box of food right there and a smile from somebody that's serving her and loving her. It causes her to put it in the car and go home and say, God, I just want to thank you for the kindness of this church family. And then missions and missionaries or somebody... Uh, Joe was out the other day, and I, I, he does our benevolence for us. And I was able to, to use benevolence and, and, and help somebody whose, whose electric bill was about to be turned off. But we were able to minister because somebody gave. Because you gave your resources, we had it stored up in a way that we could then help somebody. And she was so thankful, so very thankful for the kindness of God. And she's going to rejoice and give God praise because you gave. Let's go a little bit farther because I want to share this one in closing. Look at this. And, and he said, they, in this experiment of this ministry, they glorify God for your behalf, for your liberal distribution. And verse 14, and then they're going to pray for you. 
Did you know what our church family has done? You know, let me tell you real quickly. Uh, each year, Joanna South and others load up in a, in a church van, and they go to Women's Teen Challenge. And they take little Christmas bags. And these little girls and, and, and middle-aged women uh, have, have been caught in the vice of addiction. And our church family supports that ministry every month. Every month. But occasionally we go down there and we bring gifts. And we slobber on those girls and love on them. And we bless them. And I can guarantee you that when we leave, they lift their hands toward God. And they thank God for the kindness of a church family that's way off up here in these hills. uh, Where men and women have ups and downs just like they do. But you write out a check and you put it in an offering container. And you bless people that you may never see with your eyes. Several years ago... This church family found out a need of a church in India that had been meeting and grown to two to three hundred people and didn't have a building. And I asked the missionary, how much would it take to build that building? We found out it was $10,000. And I shared it with this church family, and we prayed, and we began to give, and over a period of time, we raised $10,000 to build that building. And right now, today, I guarantee you there are worshipers in that building with hands stretched out towards God, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because a church in Heber Springs, Arkansas, determined to give, and God took it, and He blessed them, and He blesses that church. And I can guarantee you there are times that you don't even know it that God burdens the heart of an Indian saint to pray for a people they will never see till eternity to pray for Heber Springs First Assembly of God. Let me tell you, God said, I'll give you seed to sow, I'll give you bread to eat, but I'll multiply, I'll multiply your seed sown. And when you see it through that lens, church family, it alleviates all this other stress about giving. It takes it all away. And he said, God, I just thank you that I can give. And look how Paul closed. Put that 15th verse up there if you would. Thanks be unto God. We give. Some of you give a lot. Some of you give out of need. Some of you give out of abundance. Some of you give out of compassion. Some of you give out of principle. But you didn't give like God gave. God gave everything. God gave everything to us. So as a, when a pastor stands in front of you and he's got a pure motive of teaching you biblical principles, the church family, don't take offense at it. Receive it because giving is a part of who you are. Because that's who he is. God gave. We should give. God wanted to give. We should want to give. God gave what he had. And what he had was sufficient. You should give what you have. I'll trust God. It'll be sufficient. I want to ask you to stand up today. I know I probably preached a long time. I do not apologize for it. You know, church.